Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Would you please sit back and listen to our very own David Campos. Give him a hand as he comes. Thank you guys so much. So listen, I was eight years old when we started attending the church that we came from. And actually, uh, when, when we st- moved into a, a building, we built the building itself. And my dad was kind of like the lead carpenter and kind of just helped with all the construction and getting it all together. Uh, Christina and I, later on in life, we got married. And that's, that's the church that we attended. And there, there probably wasn't very many ministries that uh, we weren't involved in. I, you know, missionettes and roll rangers. Got some missionettes and roll rangers out there. All right, got a few, got a few, uh, you know, children's church and youth and uh, uh, into to some praise and worship and some other things. And uh, in about 20, 2010, we, we found ourselves without a pastor. And so it was almost kind of uh, the next step for me. And I just kind of stepped into an interim pastor role at, at the church. And we, we carried that on for a year. And it was a great year, with a lot of growing and just a lot of me growing. And it came time for the church to decide, you know, we, we really need to, you know, a, a, anoint a pastor and get a pastor and, and just kind of take the interim role, get out, get out of that. And, and I was all for it. I was so excited. And so obviously we kind of went through a candidacy process and people came in, some other people came in. And I, I was excited. And listen, I'd been there since I was eight, you know. So I kind of thought I was a shoe in right? It's like, it's like, this is, this is, this is like, hands down. Um, and so we went through the process, and I got a call one night, and they told me, we've chosen to go with someone else. And, and immediately, like, all these, all these emotions started kind of washing over me and coming in and filling my mind of, of inadequacy, of, of not being enough, of, of, uh, not being good enough, not being loved, not being accepted, maybe doing some things wrong. And lately, in this, this series that we're in, it's called Overwhelmed. And quite frankly, it's been a topic that is, that is long overdue because we all feel overwhelmed, even me. I have had my moments uh, in life of, of feeling overwhelmed. Many of us have been raised in believing that, that it was wrong or it was actually something that we were doing. It was a cause of sin. And if you're feeling some other way than godly, then something's wrong with you. And, and if you're seeing a counselor, well, then you, you don't have enough faith. And, and unfortunately, those things go on and on and over and over. And there's so many of them. But listen, I, can, I just want to take this moment and say, look, I, I am in no way, by no means, an expert on, on any of this, but I, I, have, I am a, uh, have been in the pastoral residency program and have graduated from one chapel college. Come on now. Hey, there's a few of us out there. Um, and, and I've been learning. I've been learning. I've been growing with, with Pastor Brent, and, and I just, I just want to share some things with you. And, um, and our prayer at one chapel is that this would be a place where we can have real conversations about real problems like these. So today, today we're talking about depression, and I just want to define it first. So depression is a mood disorder characterized by anhedonia. 
which simply means anhedonia is just uh, the inability to feel pleasure. So things that, that you, you would walk in, things that you would experience that brought you pleasure before, no longer do you feel that when, when you're experiencing those things. Depression is extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. This, this, is, this is all of us. At, at, at one point in time in our lives, there, there's something on this list that, that we've experienced, that we've walked through. However, it is more serious for some. One out of nine people are on depression medication. One out of five have been on, at some point in time, at some point in time depression medication. Right now, depression medication is, has gone up 300%, and it's, and it's continuously rising. And 80% of people who are clinically depressed are not getting treatment. The number of people diagnosed with depression rises 30% every year. And an estimated 121 million people around the world suffer from depression. Listen, bottom line, there's a lot of people wrestling with this. One of the the problems with mental illness and depression is that there is a tremendous stigma around it. We're we're uncomfortable talking about it, and we're we're, we're ashamed of it. But think about it. If if I were sick, if if I had a cold or the flu, nobody would be upset about it. Nobody would even think twice about it. You wouldn't think less of a person just because they're sick. But the moment we talk about mental illness or, or we, we disclose, hey, I, I got something going on with me, all of a sudden we see that person different. It's a big deal. And there's something wrong with you. And that stigma needs to be removed in the church. Listen, I want to say that it is not a sin to be sick. And I want to say your illness is not your identity. And it's really important for us as a church because, listen, when we come to church on Sunday, we always try to put on our best. And if it's not our best here, it's our best here. We, we put on our best, best show, our best face. And what, what ends up happening is that creates a bunch of false images. The, the, the false image that we have it all together or that we're a church full of perfect people. We're not. We are not. I am not. If you, you hang around with me, those, those guys in here that have, been hung, have hang around, hung around with me before, you know I'm not a perfect person. Hey, watch it now. No response needed. But, but it's interesting because just, just a, a, a couple weeks ago or, or just a little bit more than that, Christina posted something on Facebook how we were kind of going through some stuff. This is kind of crazy time in, in our lives. Our, our, dog, our longtime dog died, and, and we, we got in a car accident. Our kids were kind of going off to college. It almost sounded like a country song, right, losing everything. <laughs> but it, but I, I love what came out of that because there were some responses in that that said, you know what, I'm so glad you posted this because you, you always look like the perfect couple. And I was like, man, I know I look good, but I'm not perfect. Now, come on now. You know, we think you have a perfect marriage, but nothing could be further than the truth. Listen, we are all human, and we are all dealing with something. And we, t- we always say in the church that it's, it's, our, it's our vision, it's our mission to move people from where they are to where God wants them to be. And I just want to echo what Pastor Brent said, that it's okay not to be okay. Listen, at one chapel here, it's okay not to be okay. Would you, would you just say that one time with me? It's okay not to be okay. 
The comedian Robin Williams said one time, all it takes is a beautiful fake smile to hide an injured soul. And they will never notice how broken you really are. This is essential for us to settle this. Because if, if you can't accept it from yourself, you can't accept it from us, you can't accept it from God, then you're not going to be able to get help. Because you're not willing to admit that it's okay not to be okay. We want you to be able to show up here or show up to groups and be honest because if you don't, you keep things hidden. You just tuck them away. And that's where the real problems begin. And why do we find ourselves in these situations? Why are so many people experiencing depression in our culture? It's largely related to our lifestyles. Listen to this quote by Stephen Ilardi. We were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, Socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. That's all of us. Like, like really? No, really. That's like all of us. We're, we're running around from place to place. And in, in our running around, we're stopping wherever we can. Find a dollar menu for those of you who got some big families. Because you got to save a buck. Just going crazy back and forth here and there. We're spending way too much time in our offices sitting down, way too much on our schedules. And this is literally reshaping and rewiring our brains. And you start to add our cell phone use and social media, which if, if we're honest with each other, it's, it's out of control. We're spending too much time on it. But this is not just adults, because research have discovered that it's for our children as well. There's too much screen time, and it's affecting them in a negative way. They spend less time using their imaginations and just playing. So much time inside, not enough time outside, kind of running around, running around with kids, falling over, getting your knees scraped or your elbow scraped, maybe, maybe getting a little tussle on the, on the playground, dealing with, some, dealing with con- controversy, dealing with something. It's shaping their brain formations in a negative way. And we add to this, we have a lack of identity in our culture. So many struggling with their value and worth. And social media only makes this worse. We add to that the, the inability to process pain. The most common way to process pain is, is we medicate it. We medicate it with drugs, we medicate it with alcohol, with TV, we binge eat, or, or we just sit and just binge Netflix and just hide ourselves from the world. You add to that too much peer-to-peer mentoring. We're not passing down the experiences from one generation to another. We're not having those conversations with grandma and grandpa, with mom and dad of how life was or, or what they went through. We're just, we just go to a Google search for that. And on top of that, we're narcissistic. It's all about me. It's a selfie generation. You got to find the right, the right lens. You got to find the right angle. You got to find all the right things in order for it to be to get the most likes. And some people take all of those things and they make the devastating decision to end their life. One million people worldwide. 44,965 Americans a year choose to end their lives in suicide. 123 people a day 
That's one person every 12 minutes. And it is the number one killer of young people age 15 to 24. But the, the reality is your emotions come in crashing like a wave. And it may feel like a roller coaster as you go up and down, from swaying from emotion to emotion over and over again. But emotions never stay the same. Just like the wave that comes crashing it, it will recede again. It will go back. So you don't have to live by what you feel. You have to live by what you feel in that moment. And you certainly don't have to end your life. Suicide is a permanent, irreversible attempt to solve a temporary problem. And I want to I validate your emotions and your experiences. We acknowledge the reality of, of your emotions and your pain. But mental pain is going to recede again. You don't have to die to end your pain. And matter of fact, on, on, the, on the back of your message notes, there's a number to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And listen, we're here and we want to help. But if you're here this morning... And, and those thoughts are going through your mind. Or maybe you know somebody that could potentially be having those thoughts. There, there are trained personnel, there are trained counselors that are there on the ready 24 hours, seven days a week that would help. And so as, as, we, as we trek through this, we, let's look at what God's word has to say about depression. And believe me, it is not silent. And this was something so big for me, something so great for me. In fact, there's an entire book called Lamentations that where Jeremiah is just pouring out all of his anguish and all of his depression. Let's go to the word, Lamentations 3, 17 through 20. The Bible says, I've been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I have hoped for from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall, and I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He says there, at the first part of that, that scripture, he says, I have forgotten what prosperity is. And the word prosperity in Hebrew means pleasant and beautiful to the senses. He was experiencing anhedonia. He, he lost the joy, he lost the pleasure of what he was seeing or what he would taste, of what he would smell or the time that he was spending with people or the places that he was at. He had lost all that was good in his life and he felt no more peace. What, what was he doing? Psychologists call this ruminating. And it's the, the idea comes from a cow chewing on its cud where the, the cow, when, as he eats grass, he eats it, it goes down, and he regurgitates it, it comes back up again. And so there's just this constant cycle of going down and coming back up, going down and coming back up. And this is sometimes what we do. We chew on our, our ideas. We chew on the negative thoughts for a while, and we swallow them down, and they come back up again. They play over and over in our mind again, and it's just this process of back and forth, back and forth. And it's a disorder where we just sit and we think. We have self-talk. There's no other voices coming in. We're hearing our own voice. And quite honestly, in these moments, if we're hearing just our own voice, we're, we're not saying anything good. But I want you to know that you're not alone here. Because there were even heroes of the faith who struggled with depression. Moses did. Job did. Jonah was another one. David struggled with depression. 
And even the Apostle Paul. Let's look to the scriptures. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8, the Bible says that we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Paul was writing and he was saying, look, I don't want you to be uninformed of all the struggles, of all the trials, of everything, all the, all the troubles and experiences that we're going through. And Paul himself was beaten many times. He was left for dead. He was disappointed by his closest friends. And he, he goes on to say that they were under such great pressure that they despaired of life. Paul, the one who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he planted churches, had moments, him himself, of depression. He was saying, I really feel like I want to end my life. Elijah is another one. As he, and he, he went as far as beg God to take his life. There, the Bible talks about Elijah in chapter 18, where there was like this face-off between him and the prophets of Baal. And it was just a showdown, right? They, were, they met in a valley, and he said, let's see whose God is greater. And all the prophets of Baal, they, they did all these crazy things to summon their God to consume the sacrifice that was there in the middle. Nothing happened. And Elijah said, okay, it's my turn. He said, but before we start, I want you to go get some water, and I want you to douse the sacrifice so that there's no humanly way possible for anybody to start the fire. And as he prayed and he, and he called upon God, the Bible says that there was such a mighty showing of the power of God that not only did it consume the sacrifice, but the altar and the rocks around it. But this is where I want to pick the story up. I want to pick the story up in the very next chapter, in chapter 19. Go with me there. Verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, and now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Verse 3 says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. After killing, after that mighty showing of God and everything that he did, everything that God did, he ran from a threat of a woman. And that's why I believe that Jezebel was Latina. <laughs> All the men married to the Latina say amen. <laughs> Elijah, listen, Elijah, he, he made some mistakes. He made some humanly mistakes. And I call him that because I believe if we look at scripture that there's some mistakes that he made that we still make today. Let's look at this. In verse 2, so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods deal with me, ever, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like, that one, like one of them. Elijah experienced faulty thinking, and sometimes we do as well. We believe the lie. We start, we start the ruminating process where we rehearse the negative and we start believing the wrong things. The negative talk, talk comes up in our mind and we start thinking and we start lying to ourselves. And not only that, we start believing it. 
What if this happens? What if that happens? Those people are talking about me. Those people are against me. And the reality of it is, it doesn't even come to pass. We're putting all these things into place that never happened. Romans 8, 35 through 39 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing, nor hide, nor dead. It goes on to describe all these things. Nothing will separate us from his great love. Nothing will be able to separate us from that. I think another thing that Elijah did that we do is isolation. He put himself in isolation. Verses 3 and 4 says that he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey away. He was a day away from anybody else. And the reality is you can sit in this auditorium full of people and you can be lonely. You can be around people and have loneliness in your heart. Matter of fact, some of you are sitting in this room right now, and you're lonely. And if you're not lonely, if, if you're not lonely, you've gotten alone in your thoughts. You're the only person you're listening to. And the truth of the matter is you're the last person that you should be getting advice from for yourself. This is why small groups, they're not a luxury. They're, they are a necessity I can't stress that enough, that you have to have people in your life that you could be honest with. There has to be, if you're, if you're the only one that knows your secrets, you're in trouble. And I, I, please don't misunderstand. I'm not telling you that you have to come up here and tell everybody, but you've got to tell somebody. Because if not, the devil will exploit the, those feelings that you feel in that moment. Look what Ecclesiastes 4.12 says. He says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. <clears throat> Excuse me. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Who's got your back? Who have you let in to have your back? Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Amen? The, the one, uh, another thing that Elijah did that I believe we do is that we, we begin to be led by feelings. Verse 4 says, I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. Elijah trusted the wrong things. Your feelings will lie to you. And not, not just the bad ones, the good ones too. They will mislead you. So we base our lives on truth, not on feelings or emotions. John 8, 832 says, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Amen. Another thing Elijah did that I believe we do is comparison. The, the back end of, of verse 4 says, I am no better than my ancestors. And now so many times we see, we talk about social media. Listen, can, can we just declare this again? Nobody's life is as good as it looks on Instagram. Nobody's life is as good as it looks on Facebook. And if you're looking on Twitter, we're going to pray for you right over after service. You shouldn't be on Twitter. <laughs> Listen, there is only one person you have to please, and that is God himself. Galatians 1.10 de declares, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or God? Or am I trying to please people? If we're still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Elijah had a few things that he stumbled on, but as we progress through the scriptures, I believe that we can find some things that will help us, that will strengthen us. And I want to notice four things as we trek through this verse, as we trek through this story. Listen, I, I'm, I'm not trying to provide an easy answer or a four-step program or anything like that, but I do believe that when we go to the Word of God, we can find help. You believe that? All right, 1 Kings uh, verse 5. 
19 verse 5. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And I want to look at this, this passage of scripture. I think the first thing that, that I see here is that we, got, we need to get healthy physically. We need Sabbath rest. If, if you missed the sermon, man, go to the podcast. Pastor Brent did an amazing job talking about how we need to get some Sabbath rest. Amen? But please don't misunderstand. I'm, I'm not asking you to slow down. Sometimes we confuse that with, with, with getting rest. No, I'm saying you need to stop. you you got to stop. And not only do you have to stop, you gotta, you, we got we to start eating right. Don't look at me. I'm preaching to myself too. That's why I got black on this morning. It's a weak week for me. <laughs> we have to eat less fast food. We got to get some exercise. We got to take a nap. We got to get more sleep, church. Psalms 127.2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Man, let's get some sleep. Let's get healthy so you can think the right thoughts. Amen? Let's continue in this story. In verse 10, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. What we got to do, what, what we got to do, what Elijah just did here, we got to pour my heart out to God. We got to pour our hearts out. God wants to hear you out. God wants to hear your fears. He wants to hear your struggle. He wants to hear the lies. He wants to hear your wrong feelings. He wants to hear your anger. He wants to hear from you. And a bunch of Elijah's words that he just said right here, they're the wrong words. A bunch of them. And I'm, I'm, I'm the only one left. That's not true. There was a bunch of prophets left. There were, there were so many around him, but he couldn't see it. God can handle your lies. God can handle your frustration. God can handle your doubts. God can handle your struggle. Do you believe that? Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's calling you to come and pour it out. He's wanting to provide rest for you. Isn't that a beautiful exchange? Come on, church, so let's just pour it out. As we continue through this, through this, this, this uh, verse in, in verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. 
Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? The third thing we need to do is we have to experience the power and the presence of God. Elijah saw the wind. He saw the fire. He saw the earthquake. But he also heard the whisper. We have to work at experiencing the power of God and hear the gentle whisper of his presence. And in order for us to do that, church, we got to turn down the world. We, we, we got we to put a stop to it. We got we to separate ourselves from, for a moment. And it, it's, it's not just about doing it here on Sunday altogether and corp- corporately, which is great. But today, what God is going to put into you today, and I believe what God is already pouring into you today, is not enough for tomorrow. And it's definitely not enough for Tuesday. So it, it's a daily choice that we make, a daily, a daily time that we set apart, that we shut the world out, and we say, okay, God, I've, I've heard a bunch of, I've heard a bunch of mess today. I've been involved in a bunch of crazy stuff, but God, I need to hear from you. I need you to pour into me. I need you to give me, give me what you want to give me, Lord. We got to sit and read our word. Psalms 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God, which means you have to stop. You have to stop and be still and listen. You guys come on back up. As we trek through verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus, where when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah. He is going to succeed you as a prophet. When we get along with God, we spend time with God. We got to do the fourth thing I want to say is let God give me a greater purpose and a direction for my life. Elijah was given a purpose by God. Go now and anoint these kings. He received direction from God. Elijah was assigned a disciple, a person to pour into. Listen, we don't, we don't have groups we don't have teams so that we can build the lower C church. It's not, it's not about numbers here. It's about you. It's about opportunities for you to build relationship, to find somebody that you can be honest and open with, that you can share those secrets, that you can have those conversations. And in the same way, God has a greater purpose and a new direction for you. 2 Corinthians 4 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is, on not what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's nothing that keeps you from losing heart like fixing your eyes on eternity. Let God give you purpose and direction. You have to find purpose in order to battle with depression and anxiety. Otherwise, it's too hard. It's too difficult. The the present is too painful. Lift your eyes. 
And you'll see that, that there is a greater glory. We have to choose to, to get healthy. We have to choose to pour our hearts out. Place ourselves in positions where we can experience the presence of God. And those experiences, in those moments, we can receive new direction, new purpose. We're going to go back into a time of worship, and Taylor is going to lead us in a, in a new song. It's called Run to the Father. And I love it because this morning, as, as he worships, I'm going to pray, but as, as he begins to worship, would you do something? Would you just sit there? Would you listen to the words? I, my prayer this morning is that you would choose to run to the Father. He has more than enough. He is more than enough. With every eye closed, with every head bowed, I just want to pray over you. Father God, we come before you. And we choose to run to you, God. Lord, we, 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 wanna, we give you all the emotions, all the uncertainty, God. All, all the measuring tools that sometimes we use where we always come up short, God. God, we give you all our, our hurts and our pains, all, all the things that trigger all the, the ruminating process that sometimes we use and we, we defeat ourselves, we tear ourselves down, and we, we get locked into this mindset that we're not enough. And maybe to the point where we think of taking our own lives, God. Lord, would you take those from us as we release those with hands open? Would you replace that with your presence and your power? Would you replace that with your love and your mercy and your grace and direction? In the name of Jesus. As we worship, please just stay seated and receive. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.